Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. With the Super Bowl in the books, I wanted to let you know about all of our coverage across the site. We have Kevin Clark, Robert Mays, Roger Sherman, and more breaking down every aspect of the game, including winners and losers, key plays from the game, and the halftime show performance. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube channel where Kevin Clark talked to Amari Cooper on Slow News Day, and Roger Sherman chatted with players from each team for their thoughts leading up to the game. Be sure to watch and subscribe to our channel on youtube.com slash The Ringer. Basketball is very good. Jimmy Butler is actually a good teammate. Savanis is the most important front court pacer. De'Aaron Fox is better than Donovan Mitchell. Basketball is very good. Hey, this is Bill Simmons here with Chris Ryan. One day before the trade deadline, it is noon on Wednesday, Pacific. We are brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network and theringer.com. This is a special bonus Ringer NBA show podcast this week. Chris Ryan, it's 12-10 and you've already done two podcasts today. <laughs> and and your team, the Philadelphia 76ers, made a very polarizing trade. Yeah. People both liked it and didn't like it. Because you got the best player in the trade. That was fun. Yeah. And now we have arguably the best starting five in the Eastern Conference. Arguably. Key, arguably being the key word. Boy, look at you batting your baby blues at me yeah, when oh I say God. that. I... I thought it was uh, a needlessly reckless trade considering that I think we both think the Warriors are going to win the title this year. Riverboat Elton. (laughs) Yeah. Well, for me, if I'm the Sixers, I'm thinking five years, right? I got Embiid, I got Simmons. This is a marathon, not a sprint. So why have you traded basically all of your trade assets except for Fultz and who knows if he's an asset anymore? And then Zaire Smith, who lost 45 pounds. Why go all in on two guys who could leave in July? makes me nervous. How so, does it make you feel? It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous because I, I don't feel, I feel like it only just started to click with Jimmy in the last couple of weeks anyway. Now you're adding another component to it. Yeah. You're losing more rotation guys, bringing new rotation guys in. I have to imagine this is like about a couple of different things. One is that you say it's like a five-year window. It's really until Ben signs his second deal. True. It might be right. an 18-month window. So there's that. This is also, you could say it's a soft hedge against Jimmy leaving in the summer, which yeah. there's there's no confirmation that he's going to sign in, ju- in, ju- in July, nor that the Sixers want to give him that five-year max that they can give him. I got to say, I think he's a two-year guy at this point. I don't know if Jimmy how Butler does agrees give with him more you, than t- But how does any team give him more than two so years? So this is a hedge against that, and they remain competitive because you, you have to imagine that they would, they're going to offer to max out Tobias, right? Max? Well, whatever the deal is that Tobias wants, they're going to want to keep him. Well, so he turned down, didn't he turn down like 20 a year from the Clippers last summer, right? Yes. So he thinks he's worth more than that. And he probably is because you're going to have 10 to 12 teams that have cap space and enough to kind of go in on somebody who's the 28 guy on a good team. I just think that this trade is really, it's representative of where we're at in the NBA right now, where this is, this is all sandcastles. Like anything you're building, the water is coming in and it's going to knock it down at any given time. You might yeah. think you have Kyrie Irving or Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant, but that can change in in a press conference. Right. So what does a team do to change that? Well, they basically commit to these like top heavy lineups. Yeah. And maybe get rid of some of the draft capital. But the Sixers tried to get a meeting with LeBron. The Sixers tried to get a meeting with Paul George. I don't think they're a free agent destination. So their way to get guys is going to be through these kinds of rec- kind of reckless trades. I have two issues with the trade from Philly's side. One is that, of course, the Clippers are going to do this. They're a fringe playoff team, probably not going to make it. Maybe, who knows? They're right on the edge. 
But if they made the playoffs, congratulations, you're the eight seed. You get to lose to Golden State in four games. And now you lose your first round pick to the Celtics. If they're in the lottery, they keep their first round pick. So it's in a way they they get an extra pick out of this trade. Great. They're losing Harris in three months. Mm-hmm. I, I gotta say, I've been following this league for 45 years. It's really rare to see somebody get 120 cents in the dollar for an expiring free agent. Usually those are the guys that are available. You know, you're talking like uh the Rashid Wallace to the Pistons type yeah, right, trades, where right. it's like somebody who's awesome and you just kind of steal them for 50 cents in the dollar. I remember the Celtics, I'm gonna say 02, the year they almost made the finals with a crap team. Uh, they traded Joe Johnson, who's a rookie, and they traded their a future first round pick for Rodney Rogers and Tony Delk. Mm-hmm. And at the time, everybody in Boston, we had been so long since we'd had a team that the Pats had just made it. It's like, yeah, now the Celtics coming. We do this trade, and it was a disaster. And we got these two bench guys. We had no business making the finals. We ended up losing in six. And then I was like, oh shit, I wish we hadn't made that trade. It was one of those. Yeah. And with this one, I wonder if that's going to be Philly's version of this. Butler is better than the two guys Boston got in that trade. But um, so there's that. And then the basketball fit, I I don't totally understand it. It's You're going to have to explain it to me. Yeah. I mean, Tobias is another guy. When you watch the Sixers at the end of games, it's just you need somebody who can create with the ball. And you need somebody who can make their own plays. Because they, what was the game they had Jimmy playing point guard? Uh, that was the one before, it was a game before the Warriors game. I can't remember the which Kings one it was. Game? The Kings game, yeah. And he's dribbling it up and and they were pressing him because he can, he, he's not like an A-plus dribbler. Yeah. Um, he's an okay ball handler. He's good in pick and, pick and roll though. Yeah. And it's nice to have him but initiate But not like going that. 94 feet with the ball. Was, that was weird. And uh I don't know. I thought I said on uh, on Twitter today. I thought like the kind of guy they needed. The ideal situation is Drew Holiday, who ironically they had. Yes, but if you put him in there and he can guard the other team's point guards, but then play off the ball on the other end, that's the dream situation. Now you have Harris, you have Butler, you have Simmons, three, six, six, pretty to switchy six, two on D, switchable on yeah, D. Yeah, but then you have JJ, who unfortunately cannot guard other teams' point guards, and then you have Embiid. So for me, the, I look at them and the issue for me is what do you do against Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard? I think you have to play Russell Westbrook. You have to play Butler against You have him. to play Butler on yeah. those guys. And I don't, I don't think that's really his skill set. I mean, Butler Butler has been Ding up. He had Buddy Heald the other night. He had... That's who you want him to... You want him to guard Durant. You want him to guard Buddy Heald. Yeah. You want him to guard perimeter guys. I don't want him guarding Damian Lillard. Right. Which is... So... My the biggest question for me is 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 this really going to be their crunch time? Because I do feel like TJ McConnell is going to be playing crunch time against certain teams. <sighs> so now who's sitting? Yeah, is it Butler or is it Harris? It's probably Butler because right. you feel like he's leaving anyway. And then now you're going to sit Jimmy Butler in crunch time. That I don't think they're going to sit Jimmy Butler in crunch time. I can't time. wrap my head around this. Yeah, I mean, I, aside from the, I guess it depends on how you're feeling about Kyle Lowry. I'm not worried about any of those guys up against Bledsoe necessarily in the playoff series. No, that's true. If you go through the the Eastern the Conference teams, point guards, Old Depot's out, right? So you would have wanted, uh, I guess Butler could have guarded Old Depot. Bledsoe, hmm. eh, whatever. Take your chances with JJ on him. I don't know if it'll go great. Um, who else is in the East that's going to make the playoffs? Kyle Lowry. That's a problem. Kyrie Irving. Kyle Lowry's a problem. Yeah. So if you played Toronto in the second round. 
Assuming Kyle Lowry is still a Raptor. And <laughs> right. So by the time we finish this podcast, he hasn't yeah. been excommunicated. So you play them second round and now you have Butler chasing around Lowry. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. So I feel like they, I still don't feel like they have a flexible enough roster yet, which is weird because they've made two major trades and they went into the season with so many assets. Well, part of the reason why there was a little, aside from like process vibes, part of the reason I think people were kind of a little bit uh, anxious about the Butler trade was because we saw firsthand what happens when you start to get away from having a deep team, which most of the best teams in this league, with the exception of the Warriors, yeah. are deep teams. So if you're going to have all of your eggs in this five-man basket and say, hey, when you get to the to the playoffs, guys are going to play 40 minutes a game anyway, it's more about your best five than it is about your best eight or nine. I I get that, but even down the stretch, like they're still playing and beat like forty minutes a night yeah, in need, losses in yeah. friggin' February. You need so, eight guys, yeah. So it would be nice at least to have like Jonah Bolden out there a little bit more now. That if, if then if we're gonna put all of our 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 faith in the, the we're gonna have a six man rotation in the playoffs. It's funny. I would have rather. I mean, may, you know, you get Harris, but I would have rather than had a second move of trading Butler. Yeah. And done it that way. I, I and mean, gotten, and traded Butler the day for is multiple young. guys. I mean, like, I would assume that what they want is if this works, we make the pitch to Butler and Harris, like, look, this is a championship caliber team. So resign with us. Let's make it work. If it doesn't work and one of them wants to go, fine. If, if it really doesn't work and both of them want to go, you start over again. I, you know, the problem with it, with that, that worst case scenario is you've also liquidated a lot of your draft capital. You seem pretty spent by this whole. Well, it's been nine, quite a couple of years. Yeah, it's been it's been quite a season. What's the funny part is you have these two guys that just went into Golden State on Thursday night and took it to the Warriors in a game where a Butler really scored six points. Yeah, and Butler sucked in that game, and Embiid and Simmons and Embiid didn't even play well. But House and I talked about it on my podcast this week. I like that he really impacted the game, even though he wasn't playing well. Yeah. He's eight for 24, but he was dominant and he had 20 rebounds and he was protecting the rim and doing a bunch of stuff. And Ben was playing really hard. Ben's been playing out of his mind the yeah. last two, two, three weeks. I love weeks. how he's crashing the boards offensively now. Yeah. And he's doing the Rondo thing on the baseline when he's kind of lingering, waiting for a shot. And then he comes flying in yeah. on the weak side. Yeah. And uh, the spacing thing is still, I don't, I don't, I can't wrap my head around that. So they do wind up having like a decent. Now their eight man rotation is essentially off the bench: McConnell, Corkmaz, Mike Scott. It's going to be Wesley Matthews, and then they're going to be. I don't. There, there's rumors that Zaire could come back this season. Zaire Smith, who was our our draft pick, who when he gets over 170 pounds, yeah. And then we've had another mysterious Markell update where Brett Brown was like, basically, like I'm not counting on it. So that was the other thing I was thinking. Is Markel the next piece in this? Well, but the so thing is, is that 12, you would think Pacific one of time. those picks that they just traded would have been the sweetener yeah. on Markel. I was rack- I was actually on the trade machine today trying to figure out where Markel could go and who made sense. I would, it is not a long list. Like if like would you trade into Chicago for Chris Dunn and Darnell Valentine? Uh Denzel Val- Valentine? The Michigan Denzel State Valentine. Guy? Who was Darnell Valentine? Oh, he was the guy from <laughs> 40 years ago, the top five pick from <laughs> Portland. Sorry. Um, Denzel Valentine. Yeah, I don't I don't think I'd take Darnell Valentine. <laughs> don't take Darnell Valentine. Uh, would I do Fultz to Chicago for Chris Dunn and Denzel Valentine? And then you have a defensive point guard. See, I don't even know if Chicago does like, that. Like, do we need the, the is, is Chris Dunn just like kind of like a slightly less 
good version of TJ McConnell. I'm just saying, like, get anybody who might be able to be in a 10-man rotation. You want to do trash for trash, fault for, for monk? Oh, now you're speaking my language. See, this is, I mean, like, I've, I've always been on the monk train. Could they get faults for monk? That's pretty good. I just assume Monk's going to be in that Memphis trade for Gasol. I know. I mean, he's. They, there was like a really funny rumor about him where they were like, Malik Monk quickly dressed and left the stadium. And then all the Hornets guys were like, he does that every game. He's yeah, just what the hell? wants the hell out of there. Well, so he's so mad that like Dennis Smith got the, the garden trade. Here's what I want for him. Sacramento. Malik? Yeah. Buddy, buddy Remember backup? Remember how close he was with Fox? Yeah. Remember the, those dudes crying in the locker room after they lost yeah. the uh, NCAA game? Put that dude in Sacramento. I, I'm still a believer. I, li- I love Malik Monk. Six man off the bench. Sacramento, not to get away from this Philly thing, but I think Sacramento is the team to watch over the next 24 hours other than maybe the Celtics. Because they need a three? Yeah, because they have no pick. So it's not like there's no tanking thing. It's like they want to make the playoffs. They need to make the playoffs. They're in the mix to make the playoffs. You have the Clippers getting out of there. You have the Lakers, who who the fuck knows what's going to happen with them. They really have a chance now to get to like a seven seed potentially. So Gallinari. Mm-hmm. I love the Gallo, the Gallo idea. So I put that in our Slack today. Gallo for basically they the, the Randolph Kufos, Kufus expirings. And then maybe like what a top 12 protected. So Zach Randolph's like still in the NBA. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's just a veteran at this point. Okay. But if you're the Clippers, let's look at it from that side. Weird to trade Harris, but not weird if you think you're getting Kawhi Leonard and you're trying to create cap space. And mm-hmm. now if you get rid of Gallo, you basically have nobody on the books next year except for, I think, Avery Bradley and some of their younger contracts. I don't think any of those other... Uh, I don't think they have any other double-figure contracts. The Avery Bradley thing, well, I mean, that might kill Isaac Lee of the ringer. <laughs> I don't know. He's complaining about it every day. It's like Clipper for life now, yeah. But if you put Gallo on that Kings team... So that Gallo, then that's, that cl- cl- this Kings best five is Fox, Buddy, Gallo, Bagley, Giles? No, you, I think the Bagman. Oh, Bogdan, yeah. Collie Stein. Yeah. Fox and Heald. Uh-huh. And then probably Gallo at the three, but then sometimes you, if you wanted offense, you could just do the Gallo-Bagley score on us. We're going to outscore you. How are you up. feeling about Harry Giles? I don't want to jinx it. That's how I feel. Okay. Because I really do think. Remember when we saw him at Summer League? I was we like, were so this guy's astonishing. Yeah, we like, Jesus Christ, this guy Kevin Garnett. Yeah, uh, I just hope it works out for him. Yeah, and it's going to be a Brandon Roy thing where he gets three, four years, and then he's probably done. Yes, yeah. his knees are shot already. But um, I would love to see that work out for them. So somebody like Gallo, Malik Monk, they, there's room for one more shooter on that team, and they have 20 million expiring contracts, which nobody has. So now you have the ability to go. Try to get Harrison Barnes, maybe. Yeah. That's another thing. Could, could the Mavs, now that they have all these other big contracts, try to get out of Harrison Barnes or what they do there? But the, Or do the Mavs want to make a run at the playoffs this year? Yeah, or do they think we're our cap screwed next year anyway? We'll right. keep Harrison Barnes. He's an expiring next year. There's some good 15 to $20 million guys available right now. So do you see what I'm saying, though, with like like everybody's talking about this free agency situation next this coming summer, but there's really only like three teams anybody seems to have to have any interest in going to with the exception, I guess, of Paul George resigning with Oklahoma. Yeah. But that you have to get in on these guys and have their birds to well, be... Who's, who's 
Who's really saying that there are three teams and where's that coming from? I guess would be my question. Okay, but so because it, it, it's like, oh, the Clippers and the Knicks are free agent suitors. As Dan Devine put in our Slack today, what did he call them? Institutional Fredos? Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Good line, Dan Devine. Uh, they really are Fredos. Like, how does anybody look at either of those organizations? The Clippers, I think, have rallied more than the Knicks, but, you know, it's weird. Yeah. They're like, oh, this will this I just think that career. LA and New York... Maybe it's just like I'm maybe I'm blind to it, but they to have the Lakers and the Knicks and the Clippers all with the ability to make moves, you're automatically going to be in fourth in the pecking order. I mean, I just think that the Sixers yeah. are traumatized by going through that last free agency. Lakers haven't gotten anybody for f- last six years other than LeBron, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I know it would be kind of the Knicks have struck out left and right. So, what do you think happens if, like, in the I, I honestly think Brooklyn is more appealing than the Knicks as a situation after watching how they handled the Porzingis thing. I mean, they fucking hit the lottery with him and he's got off the team in three and a half years. Yeah. It is like cursing their organizational stupidity. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty dangerous. I, uh, the Clippers part, clearly they, there's some teams where you just kind of know that they know stuff. Yeah. And with the Clippers, it just came out. Kawhi bought this $13 million house outside of San Diego. Mm -hmm. Red flag. And then you have the Clippers who are 30 and 25 trading their top scorer for no reason other than for assets. Right. So either they're making a Davis play or they know. Or Uncle Dennis. This summer. <laughs> yeah. Or this summer, it's like, we'll get Kawhi. We have the chips for Anthony Davis if he doesn't get traded. Mm-hmm. So Philly's already in. Mm-hmm. So the problem is if you lose in round two and it's not a very happy The Sixers experience. are not going to lose in round two. Why? I do you think there's three good teams in the East? Somebody's losing round two. Uh, I guess losing round two. Yeah, I guess Toronto, Philly, or Boston, or Milwaukee. There's four good teams in the East. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Philly fans are way too confident. I'm not too confident. I don't know. You have the worst coach of the four coaches. Let's start there. Okay, let me see Nick Nurse in a game that counts before we say that. But sure. Just say it. Nick Nurse, Brett Brown. (laughs) Uh, Should we call Dietrich? Yeah, I just wanted to ask you really quickly. What's your of the up to the moment Lakers take right now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. They get annihilated last night. If I was a Laker fan, I'd be so mad how this went. Where last year I had this young core that was playing hard for a coach that they seemed to like. And there was real progress and guys getting better. And now it is not only in the other direction, but is now free falling to the point you lose to by 42 to Indiana who doesn't even have old depot. And, um, do you see LeBron said that they were jet lagged? Like it was like their first flight and they didn't even like Indiana is not on the East coast. It's not like, it's not that hard of a flight. And you've just basically cut the legs off all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're they're you, going up to those guys. I mean, like you're going to get, what do you think about trade rooms? Like, what do you, Wags right now, pretty since podcast. If if you if, and I were just like if the ringer trade deadline was twenty four hours from yeah, now, yeah, I hear there's this like, amazing guy. All these rumors, yeah, we're, there's we're this gonna, guy at Gimlet. I'm really got my eye on. <laughs> it's amazing podcast. We might do a five for one for this podcast producer. <laughs> you think Wags is focused at yeah, that point? No now, way. Terrible edits are going to be in there, and uh, I just think that's it's a crazy way for you have people in their early twenties who this is like their first job, basically. They have they have free agents in a couple of years, and now it's like they're with LeBron, and now all of a sudden they might not be, and they're just refreshing Twitter. 
to say it's nothing so of the damaging. fact that like Luke Walton is now like they're if this team is quitting on LeBron essentially, yeah. it's going to blow back on Luke. Well, and then the, the rumors of who's going to replace Luke are I'm just in disbelief. <laughs> yeah, should we say? Go ahead. There's a lot of Jason Kidd buzz right now. Wild stuff. It's just just sheer lunacy. He's in Brooklyn. He totally backstabs them to get this Milwaukee thing with mm-hmm. one of the minority owners to take the Milwaukee thing. Is there for a couple of years. That couldn't go worse. And they finally like kick him out. And then he's kind of been laying low for two years. Now it's like, you know, be a good coach, Jason Kidd. Like, really? <laughs> Jason Kidd? Yeah. Hey, <sighs> it's as a Celtics fan, I'm delighted. I mean, this is, this is, if I don't know if Dempsey's going to cave or not. I don't know if that game last night was somehow. I mean, one of the things that's been so fascinating since LeBron got hurt is like Ingram's value. Like, this was the time Ingram needed to jump up to 25 a night. Yeah, they gave him a month yeah. audition. Yeah. All those dudes, like, hey, show your stuff. And it was the opposite. Demps is not in control of this. Okay. It's the widow. It's Benson. Who knows not that much about basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think is learning the business on the fly with a bunch of football guys. And is now being told she has to trade her best player and the only player that <laughs> yeah. anybody in the city knows other than Drew Holiday. And that this is the best offer and you have to do it. And this is somebody that has no real history of the uh-huh. league, understanding of the dynamics of the year to year, other trades to compare it to. It's just basically a black and white situation of, yeah, you have to trade that guy. He's going to go to the Lakers in a year and a half. And she's looking at it going, well, we have him under contract. Yeah. We don't have to trade. She's him like, Lakers, in my right? sport, we wait till he's 40 and then we cut him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, She's looking at it like, well, but then I, there's other trades that we could do this summer that might be, we right. get us more people, right? And they're like, yeah. And then she's like, and if we sit him out for the rest of the year, it'll help our chances to get the that Zion character, right? And they're like, yeah. And then she's going, well, why do I have to do the trade? Well, because Rich Paul wants you to. It's the like, reports what? of the Magic stuff, like of Magic Johnson and like, all the varying reports about like they've pulled out of negotiations or yeah. they don't want to bid it. It feels increasingly like the John Favreau answering machine scene in Swingers. Yeah. Which is like, ah, I wasn't sure if maybe you were on the, you had your hairdryer on. So I thought I'd call back again. <laughs> hey. hey, I'm not going to call again. You know, it's like, have, have they gotten a response yet? And yet the, the, through the press, they're negotiating how, like, first it was like, we'll trade you Lance Stevenson, Rajon Rondo, and and yeah. Kuzma oh, that's and it's just and now it's like we'll trade you everything and now it's like this Herschel Walker deal where it's every draft pick they've got for the next four years yeah, and they're like be, that's suicide but they're like that. we're not gonna do that it's like did anybody even say you should do that yeah. it doesn't sound like Dems is I mean Woj said Dems and Magic have talked a couple of times but it sounds like Dems is like I'm doing you the courtesy of listening but I'm not we're not even counter offering the Celtics can put Tatum, Smart, and the Memphis pick on the table in June and that's just a better trade than anything the Lakers could offer not to mention all the other teams that could probably top that trade. There's yes. just urgency. Rich Paul, who I really think fucked this thing completely up. I really do. I, I think the whole strategy of dropping the grenade on Monday morning, uh-huh. blowing up the news cycle for a week, and thinking that he was going to pressure New Orleans into feeling like they had to do this, not only did it not work, it made everything worse. I get the fact really that like bad idea. his value now to get two playoff runs on this current contract, I understand why his value is technically higher. But by that same token, 
it just seems like this was really, really, really miscalculated. Really miscalculated. Um, I also, it, maybe I'm old school, turning 50 this year, I don't know. The guy's under contract for another year and a half. Why does he, why does he think he can just be like, all right, it's time for me to go. Trade me there. Yeah, it was kind of like Manchurian candidate when Anthony's like, it's my time. It's my time. Like, it's my like, legacy. So like, why are you doing this? And he's like, well, it's my time. It's like, well, no, your, your time technically is a year and a half from now. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the, like, that's, that's understood. And, and also why, why is it a guaranteed title to go to the Lakers with 35-year-old LeBron who's played 55,000 minutes and no other assets on the team? Right. Didn't we just live through this in 2010 with Miami where they had three guys and it still took two years for them yeah. to get to where they needed to go because they couldn't put anyone else on the team? Whole thing is uh is lunacy. I LeBron has caused more dysfunction and chaos and just organizational unease over this last really since 2010. When his last year at Cleveland, all the way through to now. But can you argue with the results? That's the thing. I can and I can't. Does it have to be that way every year? I don't know. Does yeah. every coach have to be in danger? Does it, every player have to? It has to be somebody else's fault, right? It's Ke it's Chris Bosh's fault. It's Kevin Lowe's fault. Try to get Spo fired. Right. Got David Blatt fired. Like we did the this is busting as a joke two months ago. <laughs> now it's like fucking happening. <laughs> Nobody calls the guy out. Everybody's afraid of him. I, I think it's nuts. I, I think it's because I think the resume speaks for itself. I think if you go to the finals that many times and it's almost unprecedented, then you kind of understand that this is the way things happen. I think that the but why, fact- but, but why, what's the urgency with Davis? Why now? You're I, not beating I, the Warriors this year, no matter who, you're not beating him with- So maybe Anthony it was Davis exactly what else. you're saying. It Maybe it's like, we know that if Kyrie, like if they go to Kyrie and they're like, let's do the Davis deal- is there anybody else you want to keep? And he's like, no, feel free. And they trade Tatum and Smart and all the guys are saying in the summer that they lose out on it. And so maybe they feel like this is the last best chance. They lost out on Paul George. They lost out on Kawhi. But they still control. He could get traded to Boston and they could still get him the Lakers a year later. Yeah, but if Anthony Davis wins the finals with Kyrie Irving in Boston, do you think he's going to sign with the Lakers the next year to play with 36-year-old LeBron or however old he's going to be? I don't know. If I'm Anthony Davis, this is not my best option. Yeah. To play with aging LeBron and nobody else on a pretty dysfunctional franchise that has been dysfunctional for this entire decade and just hired Luke Walton a year and a half ago. Now he's not a good coach. Right. So who are you going to get now? Are you going to get Jason Kidd who's been fired twice? Right. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> we're going to take a break and then uh, we're going to call Dietrich. Before we call Dietrich, let's talk about the NBA schedule tonight. Wednesday night, that usually means ESPN. What do we got, Chris? Wizards, Bucks? Mm. Five o'clock PT, eight o'clock ET. Little Giannis MVP showcase. Little maybe. Little Sadaransky. Little Bradley Beal hero. Little Bradley Beal. <laughs> Could somebody please trade for me right now? That's on. And then uh, the late game is a nice one. Spurs, Warriors. I really thought the Warriors were going to win like 25 in a row and then your team beat them last week. But um, We do what we can. How about how, this first team is actually like oddly fun. I was thinking for them as a Gallo destination too, potentially. I mean, I just... I, I don't know if, you, if he'd be better than the best player alive, Davis Bertans. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear to God, I've, I've, I've never seen I've, that guy miss a three I've never in my seen, life. He is the, Has he ever missed a three? He's the evidence? opposite of Jeff Green. Yeah. 
Every time I watch them, it's like, Berton's from 32, man. <laughs> oh, it's like, never misses. Anyway, that's tonight. Uh, check that out. NBA action on ESPN. All right, we're going to call Dietrich. All right, on the line right now, he has been in the Grantland Ringer family for a long time. He wrote the piece, The Curious Case of Brian Colangelo's Tweets or whatever we called it, that like 5 million people read. I don't even know. Um, now widely credited as the man who ruined the Philadelphia 76ers, Ben Dietrich. How are you? <laughs> hey, that's a great introduction. Thanks for having me, Bill. What, uh, what was it like to write the story that led to front office upheaval and just a series of really bizarre moves that has now led to a really interesting, but I don't know what the hell we have with this team team. Um, I, I don't really know what that question is, but um, <laughs> I mean, I guess it feels surreal. And yeah. I'm now just a, just a fan like everybody else, seeing what the Sixers do. Yeah, so Ben, this is a, a good segue to ask. Not only what do you think of this Tobias Harris deal, but in terms of front office philosophy, what do you think the thinking is behind this deal? Because this is the liquidation of a lot of draft capital, that, like basically the remaining draft capital that the Sixers have built up. Well, I, I don't want to kink shame the Sixers <laughs> here. You know, they like big boys. They are into brolic youth. Yes. They are size kings. I think this trade, to me, from a, doesn't, it doesn't change much in the way that they've been operating for the last two years. They don't seem to care about guards, and they just keep loading up with forwards and like stretch bigs, etc. So in terms of like a team-building philosophy, I don't see this being particularly divergent from what they've done over the last two years. You know, when I look at this deal, there are things I like about it, but it seems to me that they just are getting better at what they did already without addressing some of the vulnerabilities that we've seen, where in the playoffs last season, they were cut to shreds by like the Celtics B-teamers, and they didn't really respond by adding a lot of guards. When I look at the starting lineup right now, it's an improvement from last year, but they still have a pretty pronounced Achilles heel that guys like Kemba Walker or Dinwiddie or like six members of the Brooklyn Nets can kind of exploit. Chris and I talked about that earlier. It was the, it was what I didn't understand about this trade because fundamentally the crunch time five has weaknesses where even Kyrie Irving on my beloved Boston mm-hmm. Celtics, I guess you have to guard him with Jimmy Butler. Is that the best way to use Jimmy Butler to have him chasing around Kyrie Irving and trying to shut him down? I, I would much rather have him on like Jason Tatum. Yeah. From the Sixers. And it was weird that they didn't address yeah, I mean, the lineup flexibility part of it. I feel like TJ is going to become even more important because of this trade. Well, right. If you look at the Sixers, like actual guard rotation now, you know, Shavit was getting a lot of minutes. So now their actual guard rotation is Redick, TJ, and, you know, Korkmaz. You know, I, I think Butler can This now actually, like, Shake Milton stuff. breaking his hand in the G League is, like, now actually a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> was, yeah, they, there's no guards on this team. It's, it's, it's like they're playing a different version of basketball. I, I almost respect it. Is there a buyout guy possibility, a buyout point guard that we're not thinking of? Because that would be the only other way this makes sense. They're, like they're not going to get like Fournier, are they? I mean, like they're no. He's got years. In yeah, his contract, right. Like, I'm trying to think of like who the guards are. There's buyout are. guys, but there's no point guards. It's like Robin Lopez, Wes, Wes Matthews, DeAndre Jordan, 
Um, there's a couple others, but I don't I don't feel like even like a DJ Augustine type. Mm-hmm. He's under I mean, contract. maybe Jeremy Lin. He could be a guy. I, I, there wow. aren't a lot of like technical guards that are that are even available. I'd honestly, ra- I'd rather send Corkmaz out there around. to guard Kyrie Irving though, like than Jeremy Lin. Yeah, when you said Jeremy Lin's name, Chris's eyeballs just rolled up in his head. <laughs> Chris is Chris is traumatized by all of this. Hey, is there a chance they use Faults to get somebody? And does Faults have any trade value? And what team would even take a chance on Faults? And would you be okay with it? Four part question. Yeah, I, I think Faults would have to go to a team that's in the the trenches of a rebuild because you're just going for upside there. I mean, maybe somewhere like Orlando, as you were saying, with DJ Augustine, somewhere where they're like they're not really trying to compete. They'd rather take a flyer and don't really feel like paying a veteran to be there. But I same same point like who's got that guy on the team sitting around that is willing to go and say we'll pay 10 million dollars next year because we hope folks can cure whatever malady ails him like it's kind of there's not a lot of teams that fit those criteria I hesitate to ask this, but if they traded Fultz straight up for DJ Augustine, what would be your reaction? Well, for a second, I thought you were going to say <laughs> if they were going to trade Fultz for Dion Waiters, and I almost had like a small seizure. That would <laughs> that would collapse Sixers I, I Twitter. Almost, I have almost no take on Fultz other than like I hope he gets well. Yeah. I don't know what his value it's is. It's completely I moved into the Twilight Zone. Well, he's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, he's like just a total like unknown, unknown. I have no opinion on Markel Fultz other than like. Hopefully he gets fixed. Well, the irony of this is that he's your last real chance to improve this team mm-hmm. now. He's because you, you've gotten rid of a lot of assets. And that was why I joked at the top about uh, Ben Rue and the Sixers because you have, you're going into the summer, really nice playoff series that get to round two. You really should have beaten Boston probably. Some things go differently. Heading into the summer, you have cap space. You have the 10th pick in the draft. You've Fultz, who I think is more of an asset back in June than maybe is now. You've Sarich, you've Cummington, your future picks. Mm-hmm. And now you think just in those two trades, you you turn the 10th pick into Zaire Smith, who, as Ben has been chronicling on Twitter, has <laughs> lost 45 pounds and almost died. Um, the pick that you got to turn number 10 into Zaire Smith, you just traded for yes. Harris. right. You've traded another future pick, which has all these protections, which then makes it really hard to trade other picks uh-huh. when these picks are like, well, we can't because so that gets complicated. And then you trade Sarge, who I think had value on a cheaper deal, and Covington, who was on who one was of the great really contracts in the contracts. league. Yeah. And it's like, is this to do all of that, to squander all of this stuff for two expiring free agents? I just, I personally wouldn't have done it. I don't know if you guys feel So Ben, what basically I was saying to Bill earlier was that like you could view this as an all-in move or you could view this as like a, a hedge against Jimmy leaving in the summer is to have Tobias already in the building because you just don't feel like you're a free agent destination if you have to go in and pitch a guy at a Marriott conference room. But if you can have him in the building already playing with Ben and getting wide open dunks like the way a lot of guys get when they play with Ben in transition... Like that's a that's a better option than hey we're going to keep our powder dry for summer. I think it's part of that, and the Sixers definitely know that this summer is crucial because after Ben Simmons gets his extension, like that window is closed. So this is definitely a it could be both a hedge and it's a move in that direction to get the guys in the building to have that advantage. One thing about this is that from a cap perspective. 
these guys will both have their cap hold, which I believe comes to somewhere around like like fifty four million together. Mm-hmm. So if you don't resign them, you still have about twenty million dollars to play with outside of Ben, Joe, and those two. So the Sixers could conceivably make some moves and and uh, you know sign someone who's making fifteen million dollars a year and then go and bring these guys back in. So I think they're they're paying a premium for bird rights on these guys. Would you have rather paid less and gotten Gallinari instead of Harris, who's under contract I mean, for another year? Who likes Gallinari, like I love Gallinari. I, but isn't that twice as work for Gallinari? If we do that, don't we then get to the same point in the conversation where we're like, how are you going to defend anybody? Yeah, but I was just thinking yeah, he brings all the same issues that Harris has. I guess the di- the the difference is he's under contract. For I'm I'm year. probably a little bit like of of being a ninny about this, but I think I'm it, my number one concern beyond who guards the opposing point guard is also just like a chemistry situation. And which, Harris is a great teammate. Harris is a great teammate. The Harris and Boban experience is by all accounts like be delightful. And beat and Boban on social. But this is awesome. just like a lot of like upheaval <laughs> for any team. I, I can't remember the last time a team has gone through this much personnel upheaval in a regular season. It's usually not a good sign for the playoffs. When you, I think you can pass a point from a continuity, comfortability standpoint mm-hmm. when it's just too many. Ben Dietrich still plays basketball all the time. Plays with our friend Jacoby. Yeah, <laughs> it's it becomes pickup basketball where it's just you're just switching who's on your team every every time you're playing. Whereas like what Ben and Jacoby have is just years <laughs> of chemistry. <laughs> I've seen it. I've played pickup with them. It's just years. The unspoken years. language of basketball. Un- the love, unspoken, yeah. beautiful language of basketball. It's hard to have. When oh, you it's don't telekinesis have... out there for yeah. sure. It really is. Who's more fun to play with than Jacoby? Nobody. But I do think, no, I think that matters though. The Celtics, even though it's been a little rocky, these guys have been together for a couple of years now, this nucleus. Kyrie's maybe really too long. Been, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe too long with Kyrie, but, uh, but yeah, the Philly thing, get to a playoff series and you saw it last year in the Philly Boston series where crowds going bonkers. You got Bellinelli and Ilyasova who are relatively new to that team. You have Simmons who's never been in a situation before. You have Embiid who is gassed by the third quarter in each game. He's so much energy. He had no idea how to pace himself. And it's little stuff like that that flips a playoff series. So I would be a little concerned. Yeah, I agree. With with the Sixers this season, you know, I think they've sort of rounded into form in various ways where Ben and Joe and Jimmy understand each other better on the floor and that chemistry improves over time. And now they're throwing another wrinkle in where Tobias Harris isn't a guy like, say, Joe Ingles or David Jacoby. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of. <laughs> Glue guy. You know, he just kind of passes the ball, moves around, plays some defense, posts up, talks a lot. Tobias Harris is a very good player, but he's generally a scorer. Yeah. He shoots quite a bit. He's not an exceptional passer. He's not a shutdown defender. He's a good weapon, but he's one that kind of is reliant on touches and shots in a way that so is Jimmy and so is Joe. And, so, and by the way, so is JJ Redick. Yeah. Who's another guy yeah, who Redick, needs to absolutely. touch the ball. I think it's. I think the lack of a glue guy is is a problem. Yeah, that's why it was so kind of like amazing to watch the Sixers play some of their best basketball of the season when Corey Brewer was there for right. twenty days. Yeah, what happened to Corey Brewer? They let him go because they were gonna make. They knew they were gonna make all these moves. So Butler has to be the glue guy. <laughs> no, it, 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 the, the weird irony of the season is he has to be the glue guy, right? And he thinks he's one of like the best nine players in the league. 
So you're asking somebody to make like an incredible sacrifice when they're in a free agent year of, hey, give up your shots, guard the other team's best player, which might be a point guard every once in a while. Butler's and so weird. The Butler experience is so strange. Do you, do you think that if you watch Jimmy Butler, if Jimmy Butler didn't make how hard he works the number one point <laughs> in his narrative, yeah. do you think you'd watch Jimmy Butler and be like, nobody outworks Jimmy Butler? When you see him on the court. No. Of course not. I see a guy who throws an entry pass to Embiid and then like looks pissed off that right. he had to throw the entry pass. Right. He just takes the two defiant steps back. I'm a little more optimistic though, just because I you know, no team wins a championship because of chemistry that doesn't have talent. True. And I feel like this this makes the Sixers more talented than they were last year. Their starting lineup was really good last year and you know Butler and Harris are an upgrade over Covington and Charit. Yes. Personality, you know, meshing notwithstanding. So I think you roll the dice on that. But my thing is that, like, how do you not get Beverly in this deal? If yeah. you're going to give up that heat pick and, and sure you're going to give up one of your guards, how do you not get a guard back? I was listening to uh, Zach Lowe and Artovitz yesterday, and they were talking about Beverly being a piece in some perspective deal. And I was like, God damn, I'd love a piece of that. I would love to go into the mean, garden with be, Patrick Beverly be and Kyrie got, Irving for 20 minutes a game. Oh, he if, is. If they got Beverly, I would say they were the favorites to go to the finals. It, it's that big of a deal that they don't have a point of attack defender or someone who can kind of handle the ball and run at the same time. He's also would be, he would make you the favorite for the next Artest Melee. <laughs> <laughs> Either, him I and mean, I just going to Patrick Beverly in Boston in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, he, every game I watch <laughs> You think him, you're better than me? <laughs> who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> uh, I mean, Beverly, Butler, Embiid, and in Boston, come on, that is that is like, Incredible. Yeah. Well, I do think if you're just ranking the possible playoff series in either conference, Boston Philly is off the charts. Yes. They, we we need oh, that. Great we need power. that. I mean, and also Toronto is off the rails too. Not like in terms of emotion, but that's like that's a goon squad too. Yeah. The because the is gonna elbow somebody in the face. I saw like it, it happens every game. Yeah, it's true. I saw it last year. Embiid is really ready to be the next great villain for Boston sports fans. Oh, yeah. He laid a lot of the groundwork last year. They were chanting, Embiid sucks. <laughs> he was cupping his hand. <laughs> he really hates Baines. He stormed off after they lost. He wouldn't shake hands. Like, he's ready to really immerse himself into this. And so is Jimmy Butler. I actually think that stuff makes Jimmy Butler better. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, I and, have and no Marcus idea about it. Is, is Marcus Smart to me is like, I, he's my favorite player on the Celtics by a long shot. Like, I think Marcus Smart is fantastic. If Marcus Smart and, is, and Patrick Beverly so had played in the war. playoffs, we would have just had to put a bike lock yeah, on like the fighting. doors and be like, when, whoever comes out is the winner. They'd be fighting. <laughs> and Marcus has, I think, gotten, I think he's improved this year and he's been a big reason why they've been playing well lately. It's, it's you know, it's going to come down to the Kyrie thing and just, the fact that the best player in the Celtics is really weird. Yeah, it's the same thing for the Sixers. It's going to come down for it's for as good as Embiid and and, and Ben are. It's going to it's going to be like what's Jimmy's true you get physical Jimmy. and mental commitment to this moment. Yeah, and Embiid is a little bit of a wild card too. He has no problem saying something sure. with a reporter. Sure. Kyrie, we could be up three one against the Sixers in the conference. That's finals. the funny thing is we like do something Embiid weird. like ten times this year has been like I want the ball more, and nobody's been like Joel Embiid is tearing the Sixers apart with his demands. Right. But it's like you know, it's just because of the way he says it and the way he is. You're just like, ah, oh, it's just Joe being Joe. I will say if, if Joel Embiid has the usage of like prime Shaq, <laughs> <laughs> like he gets the ball every time down the court through like. 
Simmons needs that 14 footer. Like, how is that going to free up Embiid, man? Yeah. Like, Embiid needs a whole side of the court. Like, you can either shoot threes at a high clip or you can lurk in the dunker spot. Like, mid range jumpers don't do shit when you're just feeding Embiid the ball on like 40% of your half court possession. Yeah. Anytime he's within like six feet of the basket, I just feel like he's going to score. Yeah. And anytime he's 25 feet from the basket launching a three, Great. Yeah. <laughs> Knock yourself out. How about taking 12 of them, Joel? He's, he's no Daniel Thies. No, just keep launching those. He's, I, I've been really impressed by how he's added subtle stuff to his game. Chris and I were talking about it earlier. Like he didn't play well in the Golden State game, but still really impacted it mm-hmm. in a way that I don't know if he could have last year. And like he also, he, like, did not get mentally dunked on by Boogie. Like no. got in, like was like going with Boogie the entire and time and did, but didn't escalate it to yeah. a point that it would have gotten, it was like, all right, settle down dudes. Maybe that'll happen in the What's finals. What's also incredible is that Joel has such a great personality that no one yells at him about getting to the foul line more than James Hart. That yeah. should just eat from the stripe. Yeah. And somehow is not like an unethical player, like, like, like Harden, who is like glitching the system here. <laughs> yeah. And beat, and beat gets shoots so many free throws. And that's kind of what you're saying. You have a bad game and he still ends up scoring 27 points because he's scoring half of them from the free throw line. What, uh, what NBA player right now do you think has a game closest to Dave Jacoby? If you had to guess. Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I just want to say it's, it's uh, Jokic because mm. they look similar, but Dave got really mad when I compared them last week. <laughs> Why? So, I think it's just the haircut that he was furious about. And I'm like, you come on, you look like him. And Dave was not feeling that. The, the hilarious thing about the Jokic comparison is Jacoby thinks he's Jokic, but half the passes are sailing out of bounds <laughs> or over somebody's head or off somebody's face. But he wants to be Jokic. It's the spirit is there. Uh, Dietrich's game. You will game, get at least like three behind the back passes per game. That's mandatory. And, and I expect it and I love it. Dietrich's game, it's like a cry. It's like. If Willie Colley Stein was also an incredible lefty kind of slasher passer, I don't even know. It's like young David Lee crossed with Willie Colley Stein, but with like a New York street. He's like a six foot roll man. Yeah. He's just a beast defensively, knows how to switch. I was impressed. Jacoby and and Dietrich and I, we held the court one day at USC for like three hours. Maybe you guys should be the nine, 10, and 11 players on the Sixers. (laughs) I would trust Dietrich. I mean, I feel like we could out the starting lineup. <laughs> I would trust it. Uh, so do you think the Sixers are done? Done dealing. Yeah, I think we could see them move like a second rounder for a guard. I mean, the guys that I was looking at are like the, the non-sexy dudes who are on, I don't know, the bench somewhere like Yogi, like Yogi Ferrell. Right. Like that's a guy I'm like, Sixers, second rounder, go get Yogi Ferrell. You know, go get, I don't know, Shaquille Harrison from Chicago. Get someone who can defend a little at the one. Yeah. If the Knicks are trying to move like, you know, Frankie smokes. Sure. Just get a point of attack defender other than TJ. Because the biggest problem is that in a crucial moment of the season, when everything is on the line, the Sixers have to choose between putting Reddick and TJ on the floor. And one of those guys can play defense and yeah. one of those guys yeah. can play offense. They need someone to kind of split the difference. Or it could be the uh, white guy double switch. <laughs> So the uh, offense the, the, the defense, yeah, yeah, the offense defense, which Doc Rivers it took him fifteen. Or they years could to they could out. actually just try and pull one of the Morris twins acts where they just put send <laughs> send TJ out there in Reddick's jersey or JJ's something. Too Jack though, <laughs> I know. I like the way JJ's been playing this year though, and I, I do think like the touches thing is a real issue. Yeah, 
Embiid needs well, he, 20 he, shots a game. Yeah, that's his value. His value is, is, is shooting yeah. and taking a lot of threes and drawing the defense to him. And if he's not going to be doing that, then it absolutely diminishes his value, which is why someone like Covington is great to have with them because Covington just gives you spacing and defense yeah. without actually having to take those shots. Covington was the MVP of the uh, playoff series I knew last you were year bring for, that up. for Boston. I knew you were going to bring that up. That it, that like essentially I, ended that was not his best yeah. I loved every time he was feeling it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you you shoot Robert Covington, please take one. Um, all right, Dietrich, you sound like you're relatively calm. You're one of my favorite Twitter followers. I love when you get mad at people for uh, for Sixers perceptions. My favorite Dietrich bit is just like the Nerlens Noel per thirty six numbers and comparing yeah. them to like <laughs> to comparing them to Carl I've been Malone. validated. I've been validated. <laughs> If OKC is serious, if OKC wants to make their run, put Stephen Adams on the bench where he belongs, start Nerland, ride that Nerland hive all the way. If only playoff games were 36 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) We we always joke about Waiters Island, but like Nerland's Island, it was just Dietrich. He's on Nerland's estuary. (laughs) (laughs) It was an eight by 10 island. Six minutes, like it's it's fucking glorious. (laughs) He's going to get paid this summer. Nerlens, I think I he mean, gets like three years thirty. For, say the Philadelphia seventy six. Oh my god, that'd be great! Uh, thanks for you. Want to plug anything, Dietrich? Um, well, we got our, our podcast, Cookies Hoops, and we'll be doing our uh, similar trade uh, deadline breakdown tomorrow afternoon, and that's with uh, my buddies Andrew Quo and Jordan Rodelli, and it's uh, CookiesHoops dot com, and it's on iTunes and all that kind of stuff. So, more of this kind of Sixer centric analysis will be headed in your direction. Awesome. All right. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Later, Ben. Oh, thanks so much, guys. All right. Have a good one. All right. So coming tomorrow, me and Ryan Rosillo on the BS podcast, we are going to come on. We're going to start recording probably a half hour before the deadline, go all the way through to maybe 1.15, 1.30 Pacific time. Put that up as soon as possible. So that should be up around dinner time. And we got the Ringer NBA show. Group chat hosted by Chris and a bunch of Ringer people that we're also putting up. So we have plenty of podcast stuff for you tomorrow. Be ready. I hope there's some fun deals. Until then. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.